I'm Lara Land, somatic coach and yoga teacher trainer, and this is the Beyond Trauma podcast. What a couple of years we have had. The challenges continue to grow, and more and more of us are experiencing some level of traumatic stress. My commitment here is to bring you the most up-to-date insights on exactly how trauma affects our mind-body-spirit system and how we can work with our bodies to soften its impacts. You will be hearing from trauma survivors and researchers, and together, we are going to incorporate what they have to teach us to heal ourselves and promote the well-being of all those around us. Here we go. It's out! The Essential Guide to Trauma-Sensitive Yoga is now available everywhere books are sold. This is the book for every yoga teacher, studio, and practitioner who wants to incorporate an inclusive practice to yoga. It's available on my website, laraland.us, and everywhere books are sold. If you're loving this podcast, you are going to love this book. Welcome back, everyone. Oh, I am excited. I have a little bit of a celebrity on today. I don't know if she's a celebrity for you, but she is for me. And boy, am I pretty excited that she said yes to being on this podcast. Katarina Vittish, and we'll talk a little bit about that last name, also known as Kato, is a certified Rosen Method practitioner. And if you haven't heard of that, we're going to talk all about what Rosen is. Um, She's also a conscious dance facilitator and is also practices the transformational modality of family constellations, which is how I came to know her and be interested in her from seeing family constellations work on episode five of Gwyneth Paltrow's documentary series, Sex, Love, and Goop on Netflix, which many of you told me to watch. You know, I wasn't sure. Should I watch this Netflix thing, this Paltrow thing? And wow, wow, wow. Oh my gosh. It's so good. And when you get to episode five and you see the transformational work that Kato is able to facilitate through family constellations, you are going to be mind blown as I was, and you're going to want to practice family constellations or be a resonator as you'll hear us talk about because it is just unbelievable, powerful and now I've heard it from multiple people. So you're tuning in today, you're going to hear about what is Rosen Method, what is family constellations, how do these practices help us to get out of survival patterns created to handle trauma from our ancestors, and what can happen when we tap into our feelings, being held, love, when we shift up our survival patterns, and we return to self. And, you know, as you'll hear from Kato, it's a ongoing process that we're in for our whole lives. And she is a really an example of that. She's the real thing, a believer and a liver into our interconnectedness, into being real, you know. She will not spiritually bypass. She will not talk about things that, you know, she hasn't tested or known to be true you can really hold true to her teachings. And I'll just, I'm just going to let us take it away. You're going to understand everything much more 
when you hear this conversation and hopefully when you watch her on the show. Okay. And there we go. Hi, Kato. Hi, Laura. <laughs> you have the same name as my mother-in-law, <laughs> which is Katarina Vitish. <laughs> oh, that's impossible. It is very true. It is very true. So maybe we are somehow related. <laughs> I don't know. She has the same last name as me. Yeah, which is now my actually my last name. Land is my professional name. Oh my Lord, I have goosebumps everywhere. That's you hard. know, so amongst many other things that drew me to you, when I saw your name, I said, yeah, I didn't tell you this before we hit record. So this is real right now. <laughs> I said, oh my gosh, I have to, uh, I, now I really have to reach out to her. All right, a longer conversation after the... <laughs> yeah, of our, uh, the, the, our heritage or the, you know, what I married married into the Vitishes. So, um, well, Kato, you are just magnetic. And when I saw you on the Netflix goop, Gwyneth Paltrow's Sex Love Goop, I immediately said, I have to talk to that woman. <laughs> And uh, and one one of the reasons, aside from your um, just your essence that comes through so vividly on the show is, and our similar last names, is I had heard about this family constellations, which is the practice that you go through on the show, working as a therapist with a couple on their trauma, family history, and trauma being passed down. And I had heard about it years and years and years ago from a friend who I guess participated and. Thought it was Looney Bins. <laughs> By the way, I did the first time I participated as well. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, the things we learn. Yeah. I don't know if that's a good place to start. You know, one of the things I'm trying to do on this podcast is really introduce folks to different modalities they might want to explore and, and how those might work. And, you know, different ones are different, are right for different people. Absolutely. So you know what, let's start actually a little more at the beginning for me and at my first and foundational work, which is Rosen Method, and then we'll talk about family constellations because they're both extraordinary practices, both of which approach trauma at the core in ways that I don't actually know other work that does. Mm. So they are, it's part of why I was excited to come on this podcast because they are both modalities that can make such an enormous difference in people's life, especially when they get stuck in talk therapy or in other forms, you know, because a lot of people do a lot of great practices like breathing practices, physical somatic practices that are uh, calming the vagal nerve and calming your body. And they do talk therapy that's doing a great job of processing using language, which means using your prefrontal cortex, which means using your thinking part, which is not where most of us live from yeah. <laughs> because of our wiring due to evolution. But a lot of times people get stuck despite all the good work they do and they bang their head against walls, not understanding why I'm doing all this and things are not changing as much as I would like. I don't have as rich and full a life as I would like. And for me, both the practice of Rosen Method and the practice of family constellations are the two things that aren't as well known, you know, as talk therapy or breath or yoga or anything that really works with your nervous system can be the key to the really deeper shifts that people are looking for. I'll, I'll just summarize. So Rosen Method can be a key because 
it's a version of somatic therapy that is hands-on in a way that it, it, literally it's touch and talk in a way that's a bit different than any other modality out there. And that goes profoundly deep into accessing what's unconsciously held in the body and bringing it up so that you don't have to be afraid of feeling it anymore. Yeah. And when you can feel yourself fully without the beautiful survival strategies you developed to try not to feel the things that would have done you in when you were younger and under-resourced, then your whole nervous system starts to rewire itself because it's not scared anymore of feeling. So Rosen Method is this touch and talk that deals with that. And then I'll, and I'll tell you how I got into Rosen Method. But what Family Constellations does, which almost nothing that I know of does, is it directly connects us to whatever needed to be put away by our family system. So the same way that our bodies help us survive our childhood by putting things away so that we won't feel what we can't handle. Our families develop patterns of behavior, of belief systems, way back sometimes, long before we might even know our ancestral stories. Our families develop these patterns that get passed down through epigenetics, through family culture, through probably things we don't even know anymore. Yes. <laughs> how, it, how it happens. But we do know that it happens that we have these patterns that nobody quite knows. Well, why, why does this happen over and over again in my family? And why does this happen over and over again for me? And it's the same as what we work on in the body with Rosen. The family needed these protections. They needed to hide from certain feelings, certain things that were going on. They needed to push things down. And so these patterns were developed for that purpose. Mm -hmm. And they get repeated out of allegiance by the descendants for generation after generation after generation without knowing that that's what you're doing. Mm. And so same as in Rosen, when you get to directly experience through constellations, and I'll talk about the crazy, cuckoo, ridiculous magic of that later. But when you get to experience directly seeing and feeling where the source of your patterns comes from, and you feel the things uh, within the system, the system gets to feel the things the patterns were designed to avoid feeling, the system can start to change because it's no longer <laughs> afraid of feeling them. That is it's very <laughs> interesting, you know, the parallel you're making between the patterns that the body-mind system develops to avoid feeling the feelings. And obviously these were, we talk about this a lot, th those patterns were necessary when they were formed, right? Yeah. Maybe there was a child or the organism was not able to, to feel the enormity of the traumatic event or events, and they were helpful. And now they're maladaptive patterns that if we can disarm them and shift them can allow us to grow and actually heal and feel more in all the right ways. But we have to be able to see that and ready to work with that. And it's interesting that, you're that there's a parallel. It's like the micro and the macro, right? And the same way that family systems come into being. I mean, families are kind of these organisms and they move in different ways and they avoid things and they see the world in different ways. And 
unless we consciously explore that, that just gets passed on to the next generation without even realizing why we do things that way. Exactly. And I love the language you use, which I'm going to forget the exact words you use, but sometimes people demonize these survival strategies and say, when we get rid of them, then everything will be better. And you used some very inclusive language around it, which is, I think, essential again in both Rosen Method and Family Constellations is that the very survival strategies that are maladaptive now can actually become resources once you see how they work, Mm. once you feel them. So I'm deeply invested always in helping my clients recognize that any really profound healing work you do for yourself is about integration and incorporation, not letting go of and getting rid of, because that's resistance. And resistance does not benefit us. Mm. You know, resistance causes contraction because it's resistance to what is, what has been. And always we're looking for ease and opening for flow to come in. And flow means, you know, let's say you have some pattern that your family had to do for survival. When you do a family constellation, what happens is instead of you being in push and pull with your ancestors, you come into alignment and integration with them in a way that gives you choice now. So when you need it, just like you know, like any of us who work uh, intensely with trauma, we know that you're not trying to get rid of the person's capacity to shut down, to dissociate, to do anything they might need to do in relation to new issues that come toward them. Because then you're, you know, then you're disabling them, then they don't have what they need to respond. What you want is for them to have choice and not to live out of that place of contraction. Because you can't go anywhere. You can't contract when you're already contracted. So you can't protect yourself. But we don't want to take away the ability to protect and just walk around without ever. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Right. Then you'd be surprised how many people in the kind of wellness and spiritual spheres think that it's about just like eliminating and eliminating, eliminating boundaries and contraction, where I've always felt it's about being able to work with all those flavors and and textures and uh, not to be this kind of completely open this ascended being who is no longer (laughs) and doesn't need you know to be which is where we ebb and flow even our heartbeat is like the heartbeat of the universe like the ebb and flow of the waves you know if you can't ebb and flow you're not really fully living. If you can't have as much expansion and contraction as possible, you don't have a rich life. Mm. So we don't want just to ascend. And certainly we don't want to go out of the body and into this place where nothing ever bothers us. Because yeah. That yeah. immense amounts of effort and isn't real. Okay. So I'm going to tell you just a very quick story and then we can go into details because I know we're going to anyhow run out of time. Um, <laughs> Could you tell? <laughs> always, always happens, especially when like-minded. So I, again, I just want to really honor what you just said, because I think that the more of us that are out there being really clear that this isn't about just letting go or rejecting or becoming fixed in some good pattern versus a bad pattern, 
the more of us who can say that to people, the more freedom everybody will have and the more joy. It's just really important. I can feel in my heart how nice it is to have heard you say that. Mm. So my story, my just quick story is I, I wanted to actually talk about like one of the coolest things about doing the sort of work I do is that I'm always in process of changing and growing and I'm always making new discoveries. And even just having you invite me on this podcast made me think some more about trauma, about what might I want to say and made me actually see something super important <laughs> that you're going to be the second person, you and your listeners, to hear me try to verbalize, which is just the very short summary is I came to all of this work because I had an enormous amount of physical trauma as a child. I broke bones. I broke collarbones twice, arms three times. I had surgery on legs. I had got a corkscrew in my eye. I mean, and all of this happened from the age of two and a half to the age of 14. And I, so I just had repeat, 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 and then infections and things. So, so I kind of lived in a soup of trauma. And my m mother and father, and my mother particularly, who was incredibly loving and present, had been abandoned by her own mother when she was three. So she hadn't had mothering and she didn't have a comfort zone with the pain that was happening for me. Mm. So for her survival and therefore for my survival, I had to not feel my pain. And everybody, and she actually taught me her a great survival strategy. Pretend it's not happening to you. You know, when you're sitting there with your arm at right angles to itself, pretend it's not happening to you. Pretend it's happening to a faraway stranger's stranger, say faraway stranger, faraway strangers. Yeah. <laughs> Recipe for dissociation. <laughs> but I don't know how I would have gotten through nine hours of sitting and waiting for an ambulance with my arm at right angles to itself at the age of six and a half without faraway stranger. Mm. So it's a perfect example of how these survival strategies are really useful. But then for me, I wasn't in my body until I was in my 20s, and I'm still at 65, getting more and more in my body. As I peel away the layers of trauma and become able to feel myself more and more. And so I found Rosen because it, it became very clear to me. I was working with a great psychotherapist who said, look, you understand everything we're talking about. You get it all, but you're not below your neck. It's not happening. So you need to go do some other practice. And she suggested Rosen Method along with some other things. And I went and I had a very funny experience with Rosen because it's very gentle and very deep and very listening. And it's literally about the practitioner coming with their hands, their heart, their attention to the places in the body where the body is contracted. Because we know wherever there's a contraction, there's something that had to be put away. So that being that you were wasn't enough resourced that it was possible to let things flow through. And by the way, I want to say every time I use the word resource, I get a little feeling because there's also become a sort of almost spiritual bypass out there about just resourcing people. Okay, so <laughs> yeah. let me resource you. Let me resource you. And while that has as some of the great guests you've had talk about it, like how it's used in EMDR, for instance, it can be incredibly useful when you absolutely need it, like when it's too much for your nervous system to not take a break. 
But in our culture, a lot of times we reinforce hypersensitivity by resourcing immediately as if it were dangerous to feel yourself. Mm. And you'll never find out how undangerous it is to feel yourself if you always go to a resource first. So mm -hmm. Rosen is about coming toward the pain that you had to hide from, but because the hands of the practitioner are on you, you are resourced already, but not resourced in a way that pulls you out of you, resourced in a way that pulls you in. So even for those of us who didn't have safety as children in our parents' hands, when a person is well-trained as a Rosen practitioner, our training kicks butt and is hard and long and, and very intense. When a person who has that training holds you while bringing attention to the places in you that are on lockdown, those places start to get the signal that they probably didn't get when you were little that it's safe to feel here. Mm. And the body-mind has a tremendous amount of wisdom and will not let up. I've never seen it let up more than what a person can handle. Mm. There are some discussions in the Rosen community about whether somebody with you know, psychosis should be worked on, you know, and so there are some limitations, but in general, the body-mind, when you come to it with just curiosity and connection and touch, gets the message that it's safe to feel as much as you can feel, and you self-titrate what you can handle without being told you're so fragile, you need to be resourced before you can look at this. Mm. So it allows for this deep, penetration of going toward whatever needed to be hidden from you so that you can feel it and it can come up and you survive it when it comes up and you're held by a, a Rosen practitioner and you can feel it's a re-regulation practice, like as you know, all good therapies are. It's a re-regulation practice where the, the practitioner's nervous system does not respond in, with any difficulty to your pain. And in general, in life, that doesn't happen. We're always trying to fix each other. Mm -hmm. You know, our parents sure didn't want us suffering for good reasons. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Actually, I've been, <laughs> I said this to my husband a few weeks ago. I'm like, it's important that, that we can uh, tolerate our daughter's crying or anger or her, you know, that it's, it's not for us to work on, on her, you know, I mean, there's some, self-regulation that one needs to learn at this four-year-old age, but very important that we can handle it. It's us that can't handle it. She knows what's happening. She'll say to me, I just have to get my cries out. Yes. <laughs> it's just energy that has to flow. It's just us that like, we're like, ah, you know, it's bothering us. <laughs> right. And so if you get scared, so yeah. for instance, my mom would get scared. Yeah. And, and you felt that. It. Yeah. So I took care of her from the age of two mm. because yeah. she was so scared I had to take care of her. So I never got to take care of me, uh, yeah. brand new to be taking care of me. And so that actually brings me to that I had wanted to say that I was starting with about a new discovery. So in thinking about all this trauma and about talking to you, and I've gotten in the last Four years, I've had a brilliant, brilliant osteopath I'm working with, and we're starting to straighten out my scoliosis and some of the things that came about because of all these injuries. 
So I have more ease in my body, which is really important because if you don't have ease in your body, you're on sympathetic arousal all the time. And your listeners know what sympathetic arousal is, but I'll say it again. It just means you feel like you're in danger all the time and your nervous system is telling you you're in danger. And getting out of that cycle is very hard if you have chronic issues. Yes. About. yes. So as I get stronger, I'm really lucky that I'm getting to see things even more intimately than I could before. So for instance, I'm finally acknowledging how much pain I've been in my whole life, how much pain I'm still in, how much mm-hmm. in pain I'm likely to be in until I die, how scary it was. And I'm starting to not need to compartmentalize myself into sections of body in order to survive, which used to be necessary because there was too much discomfort and pain and dysregulation. But what's happening as I'm starting to really not be avoiding any form of pain, and by that I mean physical and emotional, I've suddenly started to be aware that I can feel comforted by myself and by others in a way I could never feel comforted. Like I would let in comfort just to the survival degree, and then I had to shut down because that's just too much to even take in the promise of ease Mm -hmm. is too much. And now what I'm seeing is that to understand the way I do in my core right now, which I didn't two weeks ago even, that in order to feel comforted, I also have to feel the suffering because you can't feel comforted Mm. when you're shutting down against the suffering. And in a way, I think I used to think it was like a one-two thing, like, okay, when you really have felt your pain, then you will get to feel comforted. But actually, it's non-binary. It's all in this moment. So when we resist any kind of suffering, we're also resisting any kind of comfort at the same time. Mm. So just like what you said about your little one, like if you can hold her feelings, whatever they are, and comfort her without trying to take away her pain, her suffering, you're teaching that nervous system that it's okay to have both things at once and actually that they aren't separate. Yeah, wow. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. That's a major piece. So I'm so excited about that. I don't even know where that's going to go, but I know for me, it's like a paradigm shift. Like, wow. No, okay. that's really high level understanding. Yeah. 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 Cause I think, you know, those of us who've gone to the place where we're like, okay, we get, we need to feel our pain. It's more the story that once we feel the pain and get through it, yada, yada. Right. <laughs> and it's still yeah. resistance to the current moment. To yes. The- so it doesn't work, you know, you're yes. still bargaining as well. Yes, it. yes. <laughs> oh, we will find <laughs> our ways to bargain. <laughs> Always. And again, we're pattern-seeking animals, and it's a very smart thing to bargain. But if you really want to feel whole, you actually have to come out of those binary perspectives and toward this more... Uh, incorporated, and that word means a lot, embodied, incorporated, our corpus, and whatever the Latin of it is. So you incorporate, you bring into your body this non-binary reality that we are everything all at once. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, <laughs> tell me, <laughs> yes. Tell me a tiny bit more about Rosen, like what one would expect. Sure. I'm surprised it hasn't become more known 
It's like people go to talk therapy and then people go to somatics or whether yoga, but I'm trying to imagine it all in one. And yes, actually it's incredibly sad that it isn't more well-known and I can kind of tell you some of the reasons, but it's also, it's really tricky, the whole thing, because of the way we are set up in our country where psychologists, if they want to learn how to work with people as talk therapists, aren't supposed to put their hands on anybody. We're really unique in the training we have and in the the certification we've been allowed. And in different states, it's different. But like in California, you can be certified as a Rosen practitioner through this intensive training that we have so that we can do both touch and talk. But in general, that's been separated because of our you know litigious society where everybody's afraid of being sued and afraid of boundary crossing. And, and we're deprived of something so powerful because of that. So I'm going to just tell you a teeny bit about the origins of it and then what it looks like. So Rosen Method was actually, is actually one of the first somatic therapies that ever existed because it was created by Marian Rosen, who studied with Elsa Gindler, who was in Germany in the 1930s, I think. Gindler was known to be, she worked with Jung's clients and she was known to be, I think, the first person to work with breath and body work alongside of psychotherapy. And so Marion came in the very beginning, the awareness that nothing is separate and that uh, if you want a healthy body-mind, you have to work on all these layers. And then she was Jewish. She had to flee Germany. She came to America. She became physiotherapist. She worked, did all kinds of physical therapy training. You know, she worked for 60, 70 years as a physical therapist. And as she was working on people, because she had this training, what she discovered is that she would work on people on the physical level, and the people who went deep with her and talked about emotional things that came up as they were working on the physical level would get better and wouldn't come back for the same things. Yeah. The people who didn't would end up back in again with the same wrenched back, the same issues. So she slowly but surely developed Rosen Method. It took her a very long time to bring it into the world. And there are some marvelous teachers still at the Berkeley Center who encouraged her to bring it into the world. <laughs> so you can still study with her, go experience from the people who work with Mary. And I'm really lucky to have done my training with her, as well as with other wonderful, wonderful, wonderful teachers. She lived till she was 97, and she was teaching and working on people till the very end. And her capacity, or two months before she died, and her capacity to see and feel and help people move toward what was stuck in them was just astonishing. And so what a Rosen Method session is like is essentially that you lie down on a table covered with a sheet, preferably partially undressed, like in a massage, but it can also be done through clothing. And the practitioner comes with their hands and their words to your body. And they look to see where are you holding. And then they bring attention, your attention, their attention to where the contractions are. But we have this, so we have like four hands. <laughs> we have our two hands, which do, do stuff sort of on their own. Then we have the words, which are our third hand. But our fourth hand is, is the understanding of the breath. Mm. Because as you know, the diaphragm 
is the muscle that contracts immediately when something's too much for us. And then everyone's diaphragm has different. So it's the, I believe it's the only muscle in the body that is completely independently wired to both breathe itself and react to emotional nervous system stimuli. Mm -hmm. So it's the massive regulator of the body. Marion used to call it the muscle of grace because she said, if you don't have a swinging loose diaphragm, you can't feel grace. You can't feel connection with the universe. So the more restricted our diaphragm is, the less we can feel ourselves in the world and our connection to everything else. What a practitioner does essentially is come with attention to what your breath is doing as we hold these contractions. And the breath does all kinds of different things that tell us we're approaching something really difficult, tells us how to hold it, and then tells us when we're right on it, and tells us when it starts mm. moving, and tells us when to shut up and just let the client feel what they're feeling, and tells us when to use our words to be curious and, and elicit out, can they go further toward what they don't, what they have needed to put away, but they desperately want to feel. They just don't know they want to feel it. And what happens in a Rosen session is, is you have muscular release, but you also have profound and deep connection with yourself. And sometimes that uh, connection comes along with stories. So sometimes we really investigate what happened, what happened here. And sometimes very specific, you know, like my first ever session was something where my first real accident was I was two and a half and I was riding on the shoulders of my father and he fell downstairs and I fell down with him and broke my collarbone and hit my head and did probably all kinds of major damage. And the thing that came up in my Rosen session was just, I should have known better than to be riding, than to be playing with that bad, bad man. Mm. <laughs> so, so much juice in that, right? So when your little one speaks, it's amazing. But sometimes you don't ever even know. But what you know is that the feelings, you don't know the story, you just know the feelings come up that are hidden in there. And when you feel the feelings and they don't kill you because somebody who's unafraid of your feelings is standing there holding you, resourcing you, hearing and seeing you, you stop being so afraid to feel. And one of the things I listened to a couple of your podcasts because they're all wonderful and fascinating. But uh, there was actually something I wanted to say about the EM in the EMDR one, which I think EMDR is fabulous, the way that it rewires the body-mind. But there was a thing about needing to do regular practice. And I also agree that regular practice of rewiring is really, really wonderful and important. But in Rosen, what happens is when you feel in any incident that it's not going to kill you to feel your feelings when it's no longer a survival threat your whole nervous on that level on that mm -hmm. really profound nobody fixed you level nobody resourced you nobody changed you you touched what you were scared of you then start to be able to do that bit by bit everywhere else in your life so mm -hmm. as long as you have regular rosen sessions that are reminding you that it's okay to feel this and it's okay to feel that and it's okay to feel anything. Daily life becomes a practice that's telling you more and more it's safe. It's safe. It's safe to feel. Yeah, I was wondering that. I was going to ask you, like, how often, you know, if it's 
I imagine it's kind of a both and, you know, it's like sometimes we have these kind of breakthroughs that like suddenly we see like we can touch feeling and the world is almost just completely different within one session. And there's something about just that repetition that helps us to not go back into old patterns at, at the same time. You're absolutely right. So it's a both and, and it's really individual. So for some people, one session a month is like all that they're going to tolerate. And for some people, every week is really necessary. And I'm also wondering about transference. I know you're saying like they're coming to it on their own, that they realize they can go there. But I'm just imagining, I don't know, something in me is feeling into that some folks might become attached to to you, <laughs> to the the <laughs> practitioner, you know, that is being held in that way. And do you see it? Do you see transference? And how do you, how do you deal with that? Well, absolutely. Don't we all know that transference is one of the most powerful healing to when we talk mm-hmm. about re-regulating, re-regulating is just transference. Transference has these little bits of like some kind of judgment in there, mm. but, but, but every one of us Unless we had a a mother who was completely supported and lived in community, like in the way that just doesn't happen in our societies anymore for, I think, almost anyone, certainly not in Western societies where we're so fragmented family-wise, most of us need some remothering. Yeah. Whether it's by a father or a mother, it doesn't matter. I'm not, you know, it's not a gender specific thing, but our parents were mostly on total overload doing the best that they could. So transference, and we, you know, there are tons of studies done. I think one of your people I listened to was talking about how the studies, you know, show that actually it doesn't matter what modality you do of talk therapy makes no difference at all. It's about the relationship with the therapist. However, where transference, and I think me personally, I think it's the same for every single modality. Transference has only a problem if the therapist is attached to the importance it gives them mm-hmm. or to the emotions it gives them and mistakes it for something personal where it is not. So actually, Marion was wonderful about that because she was so funny because she'd be in her 90s and she'd be working on a man and he'd get an erection and she'd go, oh, how sweet. You know, that's <laughs> not about me, you know. <laughs> or, or she'd say, you have these feelings of love and they're about me, but they're not about me. I mean, you don't know me. You're being held the way you need to be held. In Rosen, a huge proportion of our training is about specifically that. And your question's a beautiful question because I think transference is probably even stronger when touch is involved than when just talk is involved. So, because, you know, again, it's not just your prefrontal cortex involved, it's your whole body, it's your deepest neuronal wiring for survival involved, and you start to have ease and comfort. But Rosen practitioners are really well-trained to not be attached themselves to that and to not need the client to be anything, to be good, to be okay, to be, to love them, to be appreciative of them, you know. So sometimes you have to hold people in anger for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's been the least allowed thing. But so I have, I think transference, I think nearly everything is about the practitioner has to do their own work. 
Yeah. You know, or, but connection, I mean, that was another thing, actually, and we're jumping around a bit, but because every question you ask brings such good stuff. One of the things I wanted to say was also about in your conversation with the EMDR, EMDR person, you guys were talking about the importance of community and the importance of connection. In Rosen, you're receiving a kind of connection that re-regulates in a way that I don't think you can get. You can, we can re. I mean, I can do Rosen over the over the internet. You're not quote unquote supposed to because it's body work, but I can read people's bodies. I can feel people's bodies. They can feel me. It, you know. But it's so much better when there's touch involved because that's what evo- you know hundreds of thousands of years of evolution set us up. I mean, we spent most of our history as humans living in tiny communities of 15 to 20, 30 people, sleeping in the same caves, curled up with each other, knowing each other inside out. We were meant to be co-regulating all the time, and we don't live that way anymore. So each time you have a Rosen session, and then also, and I will talk in a bit because I'm afraid we'll run out of time about family constellations, because that does it on a whole different level. Each time you're in that state that our nervous system was meant to be, that we don't get to be very much. I think we're desperately missing touch. So much so. And and since the pandemic, I think, I mean, I see it in myself that I kind of been retrained, you know, to just to have more space. And I'm, I'm trying to consciously like, you know, disrupt that because <laughs> I'm not hugging as much as I used to. And I can definitely feel that I don't know, in myself that it, it makes the body sick. Like it, it, it body really wants to touch. Yeah. Um, and you have a four-year-old, so at least you're getting. <laughs> yes. I'm getting a lot of good lovey yeah. baby hugs. <laughs> That's true. Nothing better in the world than no. baby touch. But many, many people live all the time, even pre-pandemic, without touch and without sort of deeper community connection. So this is actually a good place. Is there anything else you want to ask about, Rosen? No, we have to talk about family consolation. <laughs> This is a good place to go over to family constellations because I talk about family constellations a little bit differently than anybody else that I know does. And for people who don't get enough of it in this conversation, please go watch the Goop, the show, you know, on Netflix. It's easy to find episode five of Sex, Love, and Goop because it is the first time that family constellations has been filmed in a professional way like this. You know, whatever anybody thinks of Gwyneth Paltrow, her courage and exploration in putting this out in public is really quite amazing because it is nuts. Yeah. It's just nuts. It changes (laughs) the entire world perspective when you participate in it. And the community part of it, and I'll describe exactly what it is, is that I believe it takes us into a interconnection within community that is probably a lot like what our ancestors before Western civilization, patriarchy uh, took over and started making us hierarchical and warlike and disconnected. Well, that's a whole nother podcast. Mm. But in what is documentable now to have been most of human history, we lived together in ways that were, we were probably so attuned and resonant with each other 
that in ways that we can't even imagine now. Because if you imagine if you just lived with the same 30 people your whole life in full connection all the time, your nervous system would become interlinked with theirs. I mean, there are plenty of studies that show that even now couples, if you isolate them and prick one, the blood of another shows response to the, the, you know, we're so not separate in the ways we think we are. In family constellations, we directly get to experience that. And we also directly get to experience that time is not linear the way we think it is, which of course, quantum physics tells us, but we don't know what that means until you experience it. So I'm going to start by saying I am the world's biggest skeptic about everything. And the reason I'm a family constellations facilitator is because the first times I had it happen uh, for me that I went to it, it was so woo-woo and so nuts that I was like, okay, so people are faking this. So (laughs) the only way I'll know whether it's being faked or not is if I actually am the one doing it, because then I'll know I'm not faking. (laughs) So, you know, and I know, I don't know what your time is like. I have a little time to go over if if we have to. I would really love to know about the resonators and like where they come from. And I was trying to picture myself as one. And for the audience, you'll understand this in a minute when Katja explains like who the resonators are. I was like, I was wondering if, if I were a resonator, if like, I I probably would be so in my mind thinking, is this really coming through me or am I making this up? Like, I don't know if I would be too, if I'd be able to do it because of that. So actually nearly everybody who comes to do it thinks that. Okay. And it is healthy and important to keep some degree of, hmm, is what's coming through me or where does it overlap with me is actually the more more accurate question because almost always it's that it overlaps with you. In my perspective, we get chosen to resonate because there's something in it for us in that particular resonance. Mm. And I should explain what resonance is, but I will tell you quickly a very funny story So, I mean, actually, I'll just say what it is. The cuckoo part about family constellations, the the understandable part is we really do know now as a culture that we have, you know, when you look at the science of epigenetics, even you have the proof of how on one level we incorporate, carry in our bodies, in our cells, in our nervous system, things that happen to our ancestors and they shape us, right? So we actually physiologically know that. We don't know much about energy, and I don't know what energy is, so I generally avoid that word. But energetically or something, in some way, things get passed down. We do also know, because of psychology, that family culture passes down whatever happened to our ancestors. So Family Constellations was invented by some, was invented, but it's kind of like the, there was a lot of work before him, but there's a, was a German guy named Bert Hellinger who was studying to be a priest, who studied psychotherapy, who did a whole bunch of different stuff, and who was a missionary with the Zulu, and watched how Zulu healing practices were all group practices, and they had to do with ancestors and this sort of whole that we don't tend to hold in Western culture. And he became fascinated by all the different things he knew, and he started to walk, and so he started to create these gatherings that would be where a group of people who don't need to know each other at all or know anything about anything would get together and one person would come in with an issue that wasn't working for them in their life. And that group of people would act as 
the old light, the, the language is usually representatives, but I call them resonators because they're not representing something. They're resonating something. Mm, they're pulling yeah. something out of whatever this is that connects us all. And it's impossible what we do, but it, what will happen is that we will work in a group to try to find where the origin within the family system is of this issue in the person's life. And to do that, we pick resonators from the group to resonate members of the client's family. Some people call it a seeker, the person, the client. I don't like the word seeker because that indicates that there's something missing. I have never found quite that. I like voyager, mm. <laughs> but a little bit a term that people don't know. So I just say client. But so the client brings in something they want to shift. And we put in resonators to be members of their family, which may mean their immediate family, but it could mean their 10 times back great grandparent that they don't even know about. Because what we do is we track through the family system where this pattern is coming from by watching the behavior and the feelings of the resonators. And no one can explain exactly how or why this works, but utter strangers can accurately present to a degree that is mind-boggling your parents, who they never met, your great-grandparents, who they never met. And how this happens, we don't know. There are many different words people give to how this happens. You know, I use the word the field, which is what we often use, because it's a little bit undefined because I think we don't know what it is or how this works. But what we do know is that things come through you that are not yours. So you'll be standing there and you'll be the mother and father. And by the way, I work differently than many people. It's slower, but for me, it's deeper because the question you asked, if you were put in to be the mother or the father, how do you know what's your own stuff? What's your ideas that get in the way? Well, we as pattern-seeking animals are incapable of having any experience that we're not trying to interpret. Mm. So if we know a lot about who we're being or, what, or the story of what, what, what the person wants to work on or what, we're going to have ideas. So if you put in, in the mother, you're put in to be a mother and you're having certain emotional experiences, you're going to interpret it through what your experience of mothers is that's going to alter a little bit how you present what you're experiencing. But if you have no idea who you're being, you don't know what subject you're working on, you don't yeah. know anything about it, your interpreting mind, your prefrontal cortex can't get in the way. So you just have to follow what's coming through you. So what will happen is you'll put in the mother and father and the mother will turn away, turn her back to the father, refuse to interact with him at all. And will not look at her children. And then you'll go, okay, something's wrong in this in this picture. Like if the client was her child. So the, we've put in a resonator for the client, a resonator for the mother, a resonator for the father. And then we watch the patterns that happen. They don't know anything about anything. And, you know, something like 80% of the time, probably what the client sees happening in the room coming through these other people is exactly what they've known. And then all the things they didn't know but it's very accurate sometimes and often as we peel layers deeply. So if we do more than one family constellation for you, like for instance, the father may show up in the first constellation as a rigid military man, you know, who just refuses all emotion. And then when you've worked through that part, the next constellation, we actually had this happen, 
could be a goofy, the father shows up like a goofy child who has no idea how to be a father, doesn't want to be a father, just wants to play. And you've just gotten down now to the father who had to be that military man in order to reject the part of him. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) So you're working on these different layers. Yeah. So to return to the practice of resonance, which is, so I think in constellations, one of the most beautiful things about constellations is that having your own done is incredibly powerful, but being a resonator is equally powerful. It changes you deeply and profoundly because you are going straight into whatever this is that connects us all, the field, and you are seeing and feeling things that are not your patterns, that you know nothing about sometimes. Because, for instance, in my constellations, a woman can resonate a man, and you get to feel, you get to see that actually on the goop uh, shoot, which is amazing. A woman gets picked to be a father. She doesn't know she's being a father. She gets up there and she starts moving her pelvis like a man. She walks around and goes, I'm a pirate. And she totally, you know, and the father had, I I won't give too much away, actually. Go see it. It's so good. (laughs) It is so good. Yeah. I'm going to link it and all that. Yeah, it's so crazy wild. So that alone, think about your life. Your life is like a palette that you paint from and you have only certain experiences. Every time you resonate, you have an experience. Sometimes they're familiar, kind of, and sometimes they're utterly unfamiliar, but they expand your palette of experiences. So I'm going to give an example that still always makes me weepy because my best friend, someone I loved very much, was one of the first people who was with me as I was developing my skills as a facilitator. And she resonated in the role of a father who was very narcissistic and just did what he wanted, didn't care about anybody. And she didn't know this, but she got there. She was just pumping her pelvis. She was like, I make children how I want. I F what I want. I do what I want. I mean, you know, she was just, and, and when she came out of the resonance, she said, you know, that changed who I am because her whole life was about taking care of everybody else. So to feel what it was like to be a being who was only about themselves was just mind-bogglingly wonderful for her. Not that she wanted to be that, but it gave her, you know. So resonating is incredible. Now I'm going to tell quickly that resonance story just because I think that everybody who's scared of doing it, I just want everybody to know. You don't have to believe it. I have a literal rocket scientist who is one of my most favorite part of my Constellations family because he would just come and start talking about the physics of it and how crazy this was and, you know, And now he's just a great resonator. And he doesn't, you know, he, like me, comes from the same perspective. Science will someday catch up and explain what this is. But when you see it happen over and over and over and over again, you're actually being unscientific to deny it. However, it's super important to hold your interpretations of what you see in a separate way in a very light way, because interpretations are all prefrontal cortex action, making sense of a pattern. And because we are, this is why your question was wonderful, we are individual humans who have our own neuronal patterns through which we interpret everything. So even me as the facilitator, the client, every person in the room is going to have a slightly different interpretation of what they see, and none of it's quote unquote truth, Mm -hmm. right? It's Mm -hmm. just 
we don't know. What we do know is every time we do a family constellation, you can feel in the room when things get unhooked. You can feel when the family system changes. You can feel the flow come into the field and you feel it in you. And that's the important thing. The interpretations are not half as important. But to go back to, um, let me do one more thing so I don't forget it and then you can ask me questions. So to go back to resonating, I still remember one of my dearest friends went, has become, because this is part of what happens is your constellations community becomes not just friends. They've resonated your mom, your dad. Mm, yeah. They have felt pieces of you. They've resonated you. You know, it, it's wild, the depth of connection. So this is what I think is like our ancestral connection when we all lived in a cave together is what it's like to know each other inside this way is and with total no judgment because this is the most non-judgmental work ever so when this person who then wasn't that close to came in and she said oh well i'm not gonna know you know this won't i won't know it won't come through me i won't know so i put her in to be somebody like i think it was a mother and she's bending over holding her belly and i you know and i said something interpretive you know because she's new and i'm kind of trying to help her feel into it and i'm like wow so that looks like you're feeling pain in your stomach. No, I am not. I am feeling, and then she went right on to tell me, and every single time <laughs> I would give a suggestion, she knew exactly what she was feeling, exactly what was happening through her. That happens over and over and over again. We all think we won't know. Yeah. And we are all part of this thing that if you just step out of your own way and are willing to take the risks it comes through i my husband who's a total doubter of everything you know the most extreme atheistic skeptic you know which i pretty much am too but boy is he ever and he's still you know he's not sure he wants to do too much of it because it's too weird <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but he knows it's real because he did it and stuff yeah. so the thing about it is it's cuckoo and if you need to only do things that you can understand, you're going to have a really limited life because our prefrontal cortex is limited in its capacity to make stories that make things make sense. And science takes a long time. So how do we know what came through an ancestor all the way back? I don't know. It comes through, you see it, you fish around to try to find what's accurate. You don't label it too much. You watch, but at some point, story will sometimes come in because it's useful, but only once it's useful and clear that you're not shaping it by story in my way of working. Yeah. And people will see that really clearly when they see your right. work. Um, I mean, you can work faster when you're, you know, when you let your ideas shape things and, and it's helpful. I'm not saying everybody's work who works fully conscious isn't helpful. It's all helpful. Any form of constellations. Again, same as with Rosen, as long as the facilitator's not doing it for ego reasons, isn't attached to being God. It's a dangerous work if you don't find the right facilitator for you because it looks like magic and it looks like they're doing magic. And I just want to say out loud, we're not doing magic. Something is happening. We're like directors of a scene with great actors. We're just making sure the performance makes sense and is coherent and flowing and we're helping interpret, but we're not making it happen. And if we are, we're manipulating. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
it's really important to stay open and in the moment. I want to give an example, like the kind of crazy, beautiful, non-judgmental stuff that could come up in constellations. Please. And I'm going to give an example that is a bit shocking in its extreme, but it, I want to say it because the non-judgment of really accepting our survival strategies and patterns is one of the most important things we can do. So if somebody, let's say, comes from a family where sexual abuse by the father of, the ch of, of his daughters has been passed down generation to generation like it often has, we consider that a pathology, a terrible thing, you know, and it is. In the present moment, nobody wants that happening to anybody. But even the ugliest things often come from a survival strategy. And if you can see it and not demonize where it came from, it loses its hold. So, for instance, you might have an ancestor way back who lived in an isolated situation out in, you know, in area where they were farming all along, you know, maybe they were settlers somewhere, or maybe they were in a desert or, and where it's only the new, you know, the, a small sort of group of people trying to survive. And the mother dies and the father is left with six daughters. And the father can go into despair, fall apart and, or not function, or he can on some level make a daughter his wife. And then he can function and the family can survive. And whether that's sexual or just emotional abuse by, you know, making a child have to be, you know, your daughter have to be your wife. It matters and it doesn't matter. You know, it's all survival strategies that get the family to survive, but then get perpetuated and passed down because now there's a confusion. Hmm. What's a daughter? What's a father? There, the confusion is often on the part of the daughters. I have to take care of my father's survival. Like that gets passed down. I can't tell him to go F himself and walk away because the family survival is dependent on that. So when you track back in constellations and you keep going back and you keep saying, okay, where's this pattern coming from? Okay, I see it but it didn't resolve when we saw it on this level of this generation. So let's put in the next generation back. Maybe we know nothing about them. And then it shows up. When that happens, we don't look at that person who did that as a bad person. There are some, the old way of looking in constellations was always that there were perpetrators and victims. I don't do that. That is a binary thing that indeed there are factually in the world people who do bad things and people who have bad things done to them. But the world's much more complex than just that. And when you rigidify it, you take out the layers that can shift. But when we go back to that, that person, and then sometimes to that man's mother and father, or we might put in a resonator for war, if war is what killed his wife and made him have to do this, or we could put in one for the desert. We play with what we need to put in until we find the thing where things begin to shift. And sometimes they don't shift in the deep back ancestor. Sometimes they only shift in the resonator for the client. Sometimes the client has to leave the whole past behind, but they become able to walk away. Or as you'll see, actually, there's a, a version of that in the Netflix, which is wonderful, which is that there was a, I think it's a grandmother 
who was just so full of grief and rage that her child had to carry it. And sometimes I'll give the person who's the child my backpack and say, can you give it back? It's not yours. And you see it in the goop thing. It's so moving, you know, and the grandmother needs it back because it's hers. Our ancestors are no, we think if we carry our ancestors inside of ourselves, we can fix the things that happen to them. But actually that flow, you know, the flow of life is always to not carry for others because others need to carry their own so they can work with it. They can't work with it. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's so powerful. And then, then people will see how when the generations back, you start to understand the patterns again and you see those generations resolving and how, and then, and the person who's coming to the family constellations for their issue or their therapy, just how, how seeing that played out uh, impacts them and allows them to resolve that in themselves. And it's almost like it resolves, it shifts inside of you to where it's now open for you to make choices. So one of the reasons I did learn this aside from just wanting, you know, it blew, blew my, at that point, you know, very practical ashes to ashes, dust to dust mind, because it was like very obvious. It's not, we're not, we're not channeling anybody. We we're seeing aspects of whomever, whatever comes through us that needs to be seen in this moment. So my guess is that what quantum physics says is is essentially true is that time doesn't exist the way and space don't exist the way we think they do and in constellations we can shift into this other state where it's not as binary or divided up that this is the past this is the present mm. but we're certainly not having ghosts come through us or you know anything like that i did hit some places in rosen where i would just keep banging up against a wall no matter how great the work we did was it felt like there was something preventing us from getting to whatever was stuck in the person. Mm. And that's often to me a sign that there's an ancestral thing. So mm. aside from doing constellations, because it was, it changed my entire perspective of what it, human existence is. Da-da. Um, <laughs> just that little thing. Just that little thing. I also wanted to do it because it helped me work with my Rosen clients when there was a stuck And actually, I had a wonderful litmus test. I used to sometimes, it's not work, it's just things, you'll perceive things. As a facilitator, after a while, you get to perceive things. They come up without you actually having to put a resonator in. It's almost Mm. like you're a resonator and it comes through. If I perceived something in somebody's past, like at one point, I think there was like a monk in a cell and it felt like the client was being in allegiance with this ancestor and keeping themselves contained that way. Hmm. When I saw that, their body suddenly relaxed. So mm-hmm. I never even said it because it wasn't a person who would be comfortable hearing that. And I wasn't doing something, I believe strongly and not doing something without permission, but it just came through and then their body relaxed. So, and then that thing that got stuck, and then I've had other people who I will tell about it because I know it's within their comfort level, and then that incorporates it even more, and then it opens up even more. But I do think there are times when we can work on the ancestral stuff through the present, but it's faster and maybe fuller to work on it actually through working with directly with the family system. Yeah. 
And the last thing I want to say about it, just because I'm just going to name, and I I will have to give you a list of a gazillion resources and stuff. So family constellations is, you know, is astonishing. Each person does it differently. There are as many different types as there are family constellations facilitators. And there are offshoots now that are extraordinary. So there's a German psychotherapist named Franz Rupert, who's created a a form of work that he calls IOPT. In that, you actually work with resonators to represent your parts. So it's a little bit like... Oh, okay. Like, okay. Internal family systems meets family constellations, kind of. But as opposed to IFS, which I think is brilliant, but has huge amounts of prefrontal cortex interpretation of everything that's happening. When you do it with resonators, there's no, you don't know. The resonators don't know what they're working on. So your parts don't know, oh, I'm the fireman or I'm the this or I'm the that. You Mm. just put somebody in to be a part and that person shows you some of your most internal things that you don't want to know about. Right. <laughs> usually, usually it moves and usually it change changes very deeply. And that work is that work is profoundly interesting because you can do it without you can do this work very easily online, whereas family constellations are harder. And there are facilitators who do stuff one on one where they are the resonator for everything. I don't like that for me because I know the story. I prefer to watch it come through someone else. In the US, um, my friend Stephen Gillenhall, who's who's amazing in his courage in bringing this work to the US, has the Identity Development Institute, I think it's called, in Los Angeles, where he's training people to do that work. And there are people doing that work. They don't do it blind like I do. My form is Integration Constellations, and I do it blind. But that work is so profound and useful. So I just want to say, you can go check that out. So both of these works, Rosen and Constellations, haven't spread in the US the way they've spread in Europe. And you asked me why. I think we tend to look for fixes in a way. And both of these works are not dependent, you know, we in the US as brash young people, you know, a new civilization, which we still are, we're only a couple hundred years old, you know? We tend to look for fixes a lot, and neither of these things are fixes. These are really the invitation to do your deep, 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 deep work. And we're not always up for that. Hopefully, we'll get more and more up for it because it's needed. Yeah. We're all one people, and without the deep work as a planet, we we don't survive and thrive. But yeah. Yeah. And when we realize that going slow is actually... You go further in the long run, <laughs> you know, when you, when you try enough of those quick fixes, I think eventually it leads us to the deeper work. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. So let me just do it, you know, the right way. And, <laughs> and, and particularly both of these works bring joy right away. Mm. I guess that's what I want to say. That's most important is for people to know it doesn't have to be a slog. Like I think sometimes if you try to do talk therapy and it, and you haven't done the work somatically in your body or even somatic therapy, but where nobody's touching you, you have to touch yourself or you have to move a certain way. And those things are wonderful. But I think that the joy comes immediately. Like it can, it can come in your first Rosen session. It can come in your first resonating as a constellator. It can come. So it supports you. 
you know, and I'm not saying there aren't things that are hard or bumpy. There are. Sometimes it's like you're on a roller coaster for a month after a constellation because your whole insides are being rewired. But you're also supported by the joy mm-hmm. and the ease of it. So that's the thing. I, the the reason I it's just I really want people to understand this is not difficult. This is amazing. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, keeping that the lightness and the joy and the curiosity and in the process, you know, as we work on ourselves. Yes, and the connectivity that just feeds that is so juicy. Yeah. Mm. Well, I feel connected to you beyond our uh, <laughs> taking it for full circle beyond our uh, same last names. Now the world knows my real last name. Um <laughs> And very, very grateful for your time. I mean, you went above and beyond. I'm wondering, you know, if there's anything that you feel that you didn't get to say. I'm sure there's a lot, but that would make you feel more complete for today's chat. And if you want to just let people know your website and how to find you. Yeah. So you'll put that on. It's called rosenconstellations.com. Oh, there's a million things, but they're, you know, it's ongoing. But my website has a lot of videos and a lot. I did a lot on there to help people understand these different forms of work. So in addition to the Goop, Goop, the Netflix thing, go, go there and that there'll be a lot about Rosen and there'll be some referrals. I need to redo some, some work on the, on the website. I'm just coming out of a cancer journey which I haven't actually acknowledged out loud till this moment, but I am acknowledging out loud. So I'm not taking new clients right now. I also have incredibly long lists of people who like work, but you can go to my website and put your name on my waiting list. And then you will get notifications of everything I do as I, as I go forward. And I will at some point mm. resume a full, full plate. Just well, not- thank you so much for making time for me and for the listeners with, with that going on and yeah. you know your commitment to really just amplifying this work i think we i hope that we've done something today for rosen and for family constellations cuz i do think that you know like you've seen the podcasts um or listen you know see who i've had on and this is definitely these two modalities are not well known and i'm glad that we've had some part in spreading a little bit of awareness about them Exactly. And so that people can go to the Rosen Institute for listings of people in all countries. There's a ton in Europe, but there are a lot in, in America. And there's a school in Berkeley and there's an open center on the East Coast. I want to say one other thing about Rosen just also, in addition to looking for your own practitioner, the training itself is also set up so that you can do it just for self-growth, which is all I was doing when I first started. And it's amazing to go because it's done in intensive. So you can do five to seven day total immersion. You are starting to learn how to use your own hands and talk, but mostly you're just in this deep process with other people of learning how to live in this non-judgmental, open to feeling your feeling way. And an intensive is an amazing thing to go do. So you can go to my website for all those links and things, but there are marvelous practitioners out there everywhere, and there are so many ways to get both of these forms of work. Mm, such a great point, and intensive, and doing that self work that you know you don't have to identify as having 
trauma or anything, just working on ourselves. We're all in process and I'm going to look into that. Thank you so much, Kato. Okay. Excellent. Thank you, Lara, for inviting me. This was great fun. It felt very juicy and good. Oh, it feels so in alignment. As we buzz around the busy world, it becomes clear there are billions of paths. As we buzz around the busy world, we will appear in other people's photographs. As we speed through the centuries, we will collide and the light will bend. We will be accidentally immortalized in someone else's land.